Hello, everyone. I'm so glad to have a chance to talk with you for a little while today. I'm Karen Gibbons, and I've been a part of the E3 community for several years, and I just love it. This morning, I'm going to be continuing our series on the parables of Jesus. And the parable that I'm going to talk to you about is my most favorite, and it's very likely that you've heard of it too. It's usually called the prodigal son, but today I'm going to call it the parable of two sons and a father. The reason why is because I want you to think about all three of the main characters. The, old, the younger son, the older son, and the father. Not just the rebellious younger son. Because I think every single one of these characters has something important to show us. And yes, like I said, you've probably heard of this parable before. However, I want you to think in new thoughts about this parable. To open your heart to something different that maybe you can get today. Because that's how the scripture is. It brings us something different every time we read it. Mike's been reminding us to focus on four points when we're thinking about the parables. So let's review them for a minute. The parables of Jesus teach us something relatable to us, something we can look at for our own lives. The parables of Jesus give us something to wrestle with, to wonder about. The parables of Jesus are told in a specific context, a time period, to an audience who was listening. The parables of Jesus are meant to be provocative, to provoke a response from us. In the parable of the two sons and a father, I believe there's one main point that Jesus wants us to remember. Every thought the human race has ever had about how to connect with God has been wrong. Jesus is telling the people with this parable that they don't really know God. His wisdom here is radically different than anything these people had ever heard before about God. So Jesus had been going around healing people, which made him quite popular with the crowds. But in this parable, he is way more confrontational with the people. And this is likely one of the, the times that his words began to move him towards being killed by the people. Let's first look at who the audience is that Jesus is speaking to. So in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so the people that he's speaking to are the tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, and the scribes. So let's go over them, because you may learn something new here about them. Tax collectors. So these people collected money. Not just like, oh, I'm going to take your money and give it to the government. This money was going to the conquerors of their nation, the Roman Empire, to fund their enormous army with food and weapons. Now the Roman people, especially the soldier, soldiers, were brutal. They were killing people in horrific ways. And the Jewish people hated these tax collectors who were their people helping the Romans have the money to kill in these horrible ways. The sinners. Well, we think, isn't everybody a sinner? Well, actually, in those times, the sinners was a specific category of people. And they were the people who were deformed, who had illnesses, and who were prostitutes. That was a group. 
And this group of people was hopelessly stuck in that category for their whole life. They were considered complete outcasts, and they had no way back in to the community. None. The Pharisees and scribes, these men, yes, only men, were the professional religious people in the Jewish faith in Jesus' time. These guys knew more of the Bible than you and I could ever know in our whole life, I think. They had to memorize the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I don't know if you've ever tried to just read those books and all the details in them, but these guys had to memorize them. And they talked about the law and studied it most of the day and oftentimes most of the night. So we've got two pretty diverse groups sitting there talking to, well, not talking to each other, but they were sitting there listening to Jesus. Maybe we can imagine that given the things that are going on in our world today, having diverse people in the same space. And Jesus always draws diverse crowds. Now let's look at the first character that Jesus talks about, the younger son. I'm going to read through Luke 15, 11 to 24 again quickly. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate and eat. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So here we're introduced to the younger son or the prodigal as most of us have called him for a while. And what does prodigal mean? It means spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant is what the dictionary says. So the younger son comes to his father and asks for his share of the estate. So in these times, this was an astonishing request because to be able to fulfill this request, the father was going to have to sell all of his land and lose all of his standing in the community. Basically give away his identity to be able to fulfill this request for his son. And pretty much you don't get your inheritance unless your family member is dead. So it was if he was saying to the father, I don't, I don't want you. I want your things. So the father would have to tear his life apart, lose his identity and standing in the community. And the people listening would have expected the father to react very strongly and harshly with the son. 
And it really would have surprised them when Jesus said that the father went ahead and did it. So the younger son goes off and he spends all of his part of the father's money recklessly on all the things that you could imagine are reckless. And it's like the younger son spends the money as if he had never earned it. Because guess what? He didn't. It was his father's money. And of course, the money ran out eventually. And the son had to do probably the worst thing that a Jewish boy could possibly have to do. And that is to feed the pigs, the unclean animal that they had designated. So as he's sitting with the pigs in all that mud and smell, he makes a plan. He makes a plan. That's what we do when we're in trouble. We make a plan. And so he made a plan. And he said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to work as a hired hand and I'm going to pay my dad back. Because in those times, for him to have lost his money, he would be expected to make restitution to his father. And so the audience would have been expecting that. And so the son heads home. And he was likely very tired and smelly and dirty. And remember what the scripture said, it was in a far off country. So it likely would have been a very long walk that he thought about all these things as he was walking. So as he's coming home, he sees his father running towards him. Now, I'm sure he didn't expect what he got, but he was probably thinking, oh, no, here it comes. Here it comes. I'm about to get punished. But he started to talk fast, I'm sure, too, and say, oh, my gosh, here's my plan, Dad. Here's my plan. But as he's standing there all smelly, trying to get his plan out of his mouth, the father puts a robe on him and a ring on him and shoes and food and says, and he kisses him. He kisses him. Don't forget that part because he touches him. And he says, hey, we're going to have a party. I'm so glad to see you. Wow. Can you imagine how that son must have felt? How do you feel when someone gives you something you don't deserve? So the rebellious attitude of the younger son would have been familiar to the tax collectors and sinners in the audience. They would have been like, oh, yeah, I know that. I get that, boy. But they would have been really moved, too, by the grace and the love of the father and his unexpected openness to a son who didn't deserve to be celebrated. I would imagine they may have been speechless. But now the Pharisees listening, they would have been thinking, this is a terrible son. He deserves to be disowned. What's wrong with this father? So let's think for a second. What in this son do you see in yourself? When I think of this son, I think about the times that God has allowed me in his grace to exhaust myself with all my own ideas so that I will come running home to him. All right, let's talk about the older son now. And I'm going to read Luke 15, 25 to 32. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead 
and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older son now we see is walking home and he hears music. And he calls aside a servant and says, what's going on? I've often wondered, like, why didn't he just go in and ask the dad? Hey, dad, what is going on? Tell me. But instead he asked the servant, come over here and tell me what's going on in there. How many times do we go to other people with our anger instead of going directly to God? I can't help but wonder if the son's heart might have changed or been different if he had gone directly to the father. And all he's thinking about is all the good things he's done and that he doesn't have meat. In Jesus' time, meat was not eaten at every meal, only at special occasions, and it was quite the luxury. So the son is immediately thinking about the things he doesn't have, and he's comparing himself to his brother. I've done all these great things for you, and you never treated me like this. Comparing is such a dangerous thing that we do. We lose sight of what we do have when we look over to what others have. The son believed that he should have some say over how the father used his money. Just like the younger son. Hey, I want the say of this money. Now the older son is saying, I want the say over this money. Because as the father had to divide things up, all that was left now was the older son's money. Taking care of all the property that was left. So the father comes out of the party to try and talk to the son himself. And he says, look, talking like this would have been considered quite an insult in those times. Sons did not talk to their fathers like this. He addresses the father very disrespectfully. And does the father correct him or get angry back? No. The story ends with the father standing, talking to the older son. And we never know what he decided to do or what happened next. Jesus leaves us with a cliffhanger. He wants us to think. The tax collectors and the sinners would have been grumbling about how this son acted. Of course he would only think of himself and look down on his younger brother. They were used to being looked down on. And the Pharisees and scribes would have thought, well, this son is correct. He is owed his part. So let's think for a minute. What in this son do you see in yourself? When I think about this son, I remember hard times that I have gone through and thought that God owed me, that I deserve something for my trouble, when actually everything I have is not mine at all. The last character in the parable is the father. Jesus meant for us to think of his father as he told this parable, his father God. A traditional Middle Eastern father would not have acted like the father in Jesus' parable. He would have driven the younger son out with physical or verbal blows at his request. But instead, as we said, he agrees to destroy his own identity and standing in the community to give the son what he asks for. He endures the agony of rejected love. What do you do with rejected love? I think that we do everything we can to make that love go away so that we don't have to hurt so much. And that's not what the father did. He never mistreats the son. Instead, he hands over the money that cost him so much to earn, so much sweat and toil over the years. When the younger son comes home, the father sees him coming. Why? Well, because he's been looking for him every day, every minute of every day. And he ran to him. He picked up his robes and ran 
A Middle Eastern father never did this, but mothers did. The father acts like a loving, nurturing mother. When the father finds out that his older son is outside the party, he could have said to the servant, hey, you tell that snobbish boy to get himself in here and get to this party. That's not what he did. He goes out to the older son and answers his rudeness with kindness. Jesus was the first person in the Bible to address God as father. And he mostly called him father through all the scriptures. We may not have a father like this at all. Ours may be harsh and controlling, not able to understand our hearts. But Jesus is giving us a new idea of a father, a generous father who receives the agony of rejected love, who behaves with emotional abandon. And even though he's all-powerful, he delights in coming after you. All right, let's summarize some points from this parable. Both of the sons are alienated from the father. Both used the father to get what they really wanted, status and wealth. One did it by being very, very good, and one did it by being very, very bad. Both are lost. The bad one is lost in his badness, and the good one is lost in his goodness. Jesus ends the parable with the good son on the outside and the bad son on the inside. I think that he wants us to see that there are two ways that we try to fix the world, make ourselves right, and connect with God. Number one, moral conformity. I'm going to try and work really hard to fix things. And number two, self-indulgence and rebellion. I'm going to live exactly how I see fit, what I think is best for me to fix things. The default mode of both of these is self-justification. The good news in this parable from Jesus is that the answer is not religion or morality or even rebelling against it. It's something totally different. Good news people obey God to get God, to resemble him, to know him, to love him, to delight him. So which one of these do you do? Moral conformity, self-indulgence, and rebellion? I would say it depends on what day it is, because we all do both. So what do we need to do to get some change? Let's talk about three of those things. Number one, we need the initiating love of the father. The father himself goes out to both of the sons. He kisses the younger son before he have, even has a chance to speak his plan. And he, doesn't inter he interrupts his excuses and his plan to fix everything. The father goes out to the older son in the, in the middle of the party, and he talks to him, even though he's rude. So Jesus, at this point, what we know of the context, is he would have known that the Pharisees were going to be the ones to pursue him to put him to death. But the older son, who in the story represents the Pharisees, is standing outside and the father goes to him to invite him in. That's pretty powerful. The good news Jesus brings is offensive to both the younger son people and the older son people. 
people on all sides, all sides of every thought, all sides of every politics. The tax collector and sinners think the Pharisees and scribes are the trouble, and the Pharisees and scribes think the tax collectors and the sinners are the trouble. The red states think the blue states are the trouble, and the blue states think the red states are the trouble. But Jesus says, you all are in trouble, and I love you. Number two, we need to learn to not just repent of a list. The older son said to his father, I have always obeyed you. See, there's nothing on my list. And Jesus tells the older son part of us that we have to repent for the reasons that we tried so hard to do right. The things we did right to get something from him instead of just loving him. Lastly, we have to be melted and moved by what it cost to bring us home. In verse 31, the father says, all that is mine is yours. Everything left at the father's estate belonged to the older son. The younger son could only come back into the estate if the older son's money made it happen. A true older son would have gone out to search for the younger son to bring him home. And Jesus, he is that perfect older son who gladly gives all to bring us home. Jesus has everything of the father's and he gives it to us freely. We have this awesome father and a perfect older brother asking us to come in and come home. 